0: Hello and welcome to the latest BICOM podcast. It's Wednesday the 7th of July and I'm Richard Pater, the director of BICOM based in Jerusalem. My guest today is actually Israeli based in the UK. Um, Elad Simkhayov is the European correspondent for Channel 12 News and he's lived in London for the last eight years. He's also the host of the channel's popular daily podcast, One A Day, that deals with a range of topical issues. Elad, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Richard. My pleasure. So there are a range of issues that I'd love to love to talk to, talk to you about um, and get your perspective on. Perhaps let's start with Israeli politics, which I know you're also following maybe from afar but still following very closely. Um, the new government, I mean, it's hardly had a period of grace at all. From the first day, it's been hit with kind of controversial issues, um, which is managing to uh, to, to, to navigate uh, somehow. We've had the march of the flags and the altar of Jerusalem. The, uh, the outpost of Evi Atal, um in the West Bank, and kind of we're still waiting to see the developments on the, uh, the Qatari money into, uh, into the Gaza Strip. Um, but perhaps kind of the most recent uh, controversy was on Monday night and the vote over the, the citizenship law. Um, oh. I wanted just to take your, your view of kind of what you thought of, the, uh, of, of this law and how the vote went in such dramatic uh, fashion on Monday night.
1: Well, that's Israel for you, Richard, because, you know, there's always something happening. Uh, No one had any doubts concerning uh, the fact that the new government would not have any grace period, not even a day, not even an hour. The issues are uh, so varied and there's so many issues that the government has to face. Uh, It was clear as day that it will be interesting, let's say, uh, from the get-go. But, you know, I I, I think that we, we can talk about the coalition, we can talk about the government, we can talk about the, the, the law or the addition to the law. I think the most important and maybe interesting thing to talk about here um, is the opposition, because we are witnessing um, a kind of a peculiar situation in Israel, where the largest party of the parliament, by far, the Likud, Uh, with 30 seats in the parliament, it's a quarter of the parliament, um, is actually the head of the opposition. And when you look at the combining parties forming the coalition, each one, even if you take the sum of some of them together, uh, they're smaller than the Likud. And that makes uh, an interesting situation where the Likud feels, and especially Benjamin Netanyahu feels, he was wronged. He was actually the one who was supposed to be continuing his eternal role uh, as as prime minister. And that affects the way he takes this role as head of opposition. Now, when you look at opposition anywhere in the world, especially in Israel, you have basically, I think two types of opposition. The one which is more cooperative, the one that says, okay, we, we know that our aim is to overthrow this government, but we will cooperate with things that we see fit and think that they just, and has, uh, importance on a national level. And there's a second type where the opposition actually says the only or the main aim for us uh, um, is to replace this government. And I think Benjamin Netanyahu uh, has put this aim um, as, as a sole aim where he can actually see in front of him, he wants to take this government out. He wants to replace uh, Naftali Bennett and Yair Lapid. And when you, when you consider that uh, context, I think you can look... At the, uh, at the vote on Monday and actually any other vote that has been or will be within, within this uh, coalition. This coalition thought wrong, wrongly that it can count on the opposition, on the Likud, on the Tzionuta Datit, the right-wing parties to cooperate and to stand with, it, with them uh, in matters that are, are important to the Israeli right, that uh, traditionally the Israeli right saw a, 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 in a very clear way. And that's why the coalition in Israel thought that it can count on the Likud to um, balance the fact that the left-wing parties inside the coalitions cannot and will not vote for a law that basically says that uh, partners, whether wives or husbands that are coming from the Palestinian territories inside Israel and have formed an alliance and in, in marriage with Israelis, they will not enjoy the same rights as uh, Israelis or as partners who come from different territories. The Israeli left cannot and will not accept that. The coalition, especially Bennett, thought that the Likud and the Tzionda that it will help him because it's something that is very important to the Israeli right. But again, Benjamin Netanyahu, more than others, um, has a very clear view. He says, I don't mind whether uh, uh, we will pass laws that the right, see as, Im- as important and just. The only thing that I see in front of me is to take this government out and to replace the Bennett. And it makes the whole work of the coalition a lot more interesting, in my opinion. I mean, that's,
0: you, that's, I mean, that's a, a legitimate approach by the by the opposition. It's just it kind is. of ironic when it goes against kind of their core ideological beliefs, as we saw on Monday night, a bill that has been pushed for the last decade or so by the Likud party and suddenly without, without any shame, They're all voting against it because of, you say, kind of political expediency to bring to bring the government down.
1: Um, It's it's definitely legitimate. Uh, It's definitely, uh, when I say there are two types, again, mm -hmm. you might discuss and you might debate whether uh, that's a constructive way to see the opposition, but both types are legitimate. And if I take you back to uh, one of the previous times where Benjamin Netanyahu was head of opposition, he acted the the exact same way. He cooperated with Arab parties in order to overthrow the government. He actually stood uh, at the Knesset and showed uh, classified information and classified documents in order to attack the government and to uh, 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 try to uh, denounce it and to, to make a claim that it needs to be uh, uh, overthrown and he needs to replace the prime minister. We've seen that Benjamin Netanyahu wants to win at all costs. And it's Mm. true when he's he's, uh, running for prime minister as prime minister. And it's especially true when he wants to replace another prime minister and he's the head of opposition.
0: Absolutely. Um, I mean, one of the most uh, kind of crucial tests of this new government will be passing a budget. We saw just this morning they were able to extend their own deadline Doing this, I think until the, the beginning of November. Um, what are the issues that uh, that uh, that our audience that may be interested in following this closely should be looking out for? The controversial issues, perhaps, within the uh, the budgetary agenda. Uh,
1: well, again, uh, when you look at the coalition, this coalition, um, it's it's very fragile. very varied and and the reason why it has this um it faces these issues that usually were not a big problem for an israeli government but because of the way that it forms the 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 different parties form a coalition and they're very very much apart in terms of agenda you have a very left-wing uh uh parties like Kram which is an Arab party and Meretz which is which is sometimes is considered as the radical left in Israel and the Labour Party Avoda which is the moderate left and you have the right the the, the uh, uh Yamina for Bennett uh, which is somehow see sometimes sees as a, as, a, as a radical left and like by, by by Gidon sar and you have to somehow balance these agendas and when you talk about the the the, the budget I think that will be the biggest test for this coalition. And and again, the the reason why they postponed it is in order to to try and fine tune all of the different uh, perspectives and and, and views. Um, We'll see a a budget that has to accommodate uh, for the settlements in in order to uh, uh, comply with the uh, demands of the right wing members of this coalition. And we'll have to see a budget that has to accommodate, uh, let's say, uh, uh, Bedouin settlements um, in the south of Israel, because this is mm. the, the 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 base of uh, Rams, the, the, the Arab party in the coalition's uh, voters that are coming from there. So somehow you will need to see a very, very strange budget that doesn't have a very clear uh, uh, view, doesn't have a very clear Uh, agenda to it. It it will be scattered all over the place, kind of like the the, the coalition that we're seeing. And bear in mind, Richard, we're um, uh, after uh, a year and a half of of the COVID pandemic, we're after an operation in Gaza. Uh, Israel's budget has to accommodate to that as well. Uh, The the, the deficit is very big. Uh, Some were talking about the need to raise taxes. I don't think Bennett has the political power in order to do that. Uh, but when you take into account that you have to comply with demands from uh, the left and the right, the radical left and the radical right, and you're facing a time of uh, financial uncertainty, it will, not, not def- it, it will definitely be a very, very challenging budget, uh, A, to, uh, um, to actually make, and B, to pass uh, in legislation.
0: Mm. I mean, what's? I mean, this is a conversation that I'm sure you've been asked numerous times, and I'm asking others as well. But what's your? If you, if I have to put you on the spot, the uh, the longevity of this government. How long are you giving it?
1: Uh, that's a good question. I think that we need to see which interest uh, um, takes precedent, whether, uh, and and that's what the coalition hopes that they would be able to put aside the most divisive. Uh, uh, topics, and uh, they will be able to put aside their um, maybe most um, controversial political agendas and political debate and um, focus on trying to manage the day-to-day basic stuff. We have a pandemic that is still around us. As we say, we have a um, the, the the financial issues we have the security security issues so this government really wishes that the uh, let's say the core issues that has been uh, um, causing uh, the the divisiveness in Israel for such a long time will be able to be put aside for at least a few years um, and and uh, when they when they when they say that they actually the, the thing that they want to do is to restart. Israeli politics. Because after 12 years of a government formed by Benjamin Netanyahu, these parties combined together and and are working together in order to say, listen, we need to put this man aside. We need to to take him out of the Israeli political scene. And then it's a whole new game. And then we can actually start reforming the Israeli politics. Uh, The question is, A, I think whether Benjamin Netanyahu will have the uh, um, uh, the will and the the, the the ability, the the political strength, may, maybe, and the backing to stay put and to wait for them to make the first mistake, and maybe this fragile coalition uh, will start to break when he while he is still there. And of course, there's the the trial that m- might affect mm. that as well. Um, and B, whether this interest of putting Benjamin Netanyahu aside and restarting the Israeli politics will be stronger than the divisive uh, uh, topics and the different agendas between the, between the parties. Um, I think that, you know, each guest, is, each guest is good. Your guest is good as mine. Mm-hmm. I've heard some people say that this coalition, this government will probably last for a month. And others say that it could last for, ten, for, for, for uh, four years. It really depends on which interest uh, takes the front seat um, in, in that aspect, I think.
0: Okay, we'll let you off. Well, maybe we'll have to come back and discuss that at another <laughs> another time. Um, I mean, if we just pivot to kind of the the security issues, and I suppose one of the uh, in the forefront of our minds was the recent fighting uh, in 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 the Gaza Strip uh, with with Hamas. Um, what do you think about the, uh, the the developments there? The chances, the prospect of a long term deal, um, doing a deal both over the rehabilitation, both allowing the, Tari funds in and obviously Israel's primary interest of, uh, of releasing the, uh, the soldiers and the, the soldiers' bodies and the civilians uh, being held by Hamas. Where do you see that uh, developing?
1: You, you know, Richard, I just heard this day um, the World Bank gave an estimate that um, the investment needed in order to restore the situation in Gaza Somewhere around half a half a, half a billion uh, uh, dollars. It's a, it's a lot of money, um, and it, 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 and it poses a great challenge because uh, I think it's in Israel's interest to restore the situation in Gaza uh, and to help, of course, humanitarian aid and and the help with the infrastructure in Gaza. Uh, but I have to say, talking to people in Israel, even talking to um, uh, senior of figures in the military and in the security um, uh, atmosphere, let's say, the the security scene in Israel, um, something has has begun to change because there was uh, uh, this theory in Israel that if you'll help the people in Gaza, if you'll give them money, if you'll give them uh, uh, help with infrastructure, if you'll give them produce and and, uh, food and um, medicine, things will change. They will denounce... Hamas, they will uprise against uh, the terrorist regime that took control of uh, of, of Gaza. That did not happen, um, and you might claim that Israel has not done enough. Others will claim the opposite, but we see that Hamas is still very, very strong in its hold in Gaza. And moreover, I mean, even if you look. At the, at the West Bank, and you're seeing what's happening there with Abu Mazen, with the riots, with the canceled elections there, Hamas is actually gaining uh, uh, more and more supporters in the West Bank. Um, so I'm, I, I think we're reaching a point where Israel, we need to decide uh, a long-term strategy uh, in terms of Gaza, and in the bigger picture, in terms of Hamas. Whether Israel sees Hamas as a potential partner and again, it doesn't depend only on, on Israel's views. Uh, we know that Hamas has a very extreme uh, uh, section to it, let's call it, which which is still the, uh, the section that, that, that calls the shots there and, uh, and manages the, the organization. They do not want any relations with Israel. But I think that in terms of Israel, and when we're talking about Gaza and the way to avoid another escalation and another round of fighting, I think Israel will need to uh, have a strategy, a long-term strategy uh, when it comes to Hamas. Uh, And I've I've been hearing a lot of uh, theories and a lot of um, uh, possibilities and a lot of uh, solutions, possible solutions. Let's say that Israel will decide that Hamas is a terror organization that is an enemy of Israel and we have no relations with it. Then we need to act accordingly. We need to really disconnect our uh, um, lifeline that uh, brings Hamas, uh, uh, let's say the the construction uh, materials and the money coming from Qatar. We'll have to disconnect that and say, listen, this is an enemy state. We do not want any relations with it. We do not want any interactions with it. If you want to pass through materials, you can do it uh, via Egypt, but that has not been done uh, yet. And that's why Israel is, 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 is in a kind of a combined uh, situation with Gaza, where we, we do not have any uh, formal relations. We see Hamas as, a, as an enemy, as a terrorist organization, but we still have uh, very much uh, uh, interaction with them. I think Israel is, is, is coming towards this place where it needs to have a definite strategy, a long-term st- strategy, and that's the only way to avoid another escalation or this situation of of recurring uh, cycles of violence. It's just it's 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 an unbelievable situation that the Israelis and the people of Gaza has to live through.
0: Absolutely. Um, I mean, listen, while we were here, obviously focused on the uh, on on the the violence coming emanating from the Gaza Strip Um, at the time, if I take you back, you were and you were kind of familiar to to so many Israelis on the TV screens on a nightly basis covering the pro-Palestinian protesters in london i wonder if you could just give us an idea Can um, you describe what it was like being an israeli um journalist covering those those, those rallies uh,
1: so i have to tell you richard i've been here in london as you said eight years now um, i've been covering all of the major anti-israeli pro-palestinian demonstrations there have been many 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 that i've, I've I, 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 I was in and, and a part of Um, even the Al-Quds rallies and the big rallies and demonstrations during operations in Gaza. And I I, I can clearly say uh, that, at least in my experience, uh, there has been a growing uh, tension. There has been a growing uh, um, uh, violence. There's been a growing hatred towards Israel. Um, and I think the peak was really the 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 the, the last um, the, the previous operation that we saw in uh, Gaza, uh, the protector of the walls. Um, I was uh, in two demonstrations in front of the Israeli embassy. I cannot remember texts so aggressive, so full of hatred towards Israel. Uh, people are actually calling for the destruction of Israel. Uh, for massacre of Jews, uh, the Israeli flag being burnt and ripped, uh, the Israeli flag being uh, thrown on the floor and dozens of people just uh, uh, stamping it on it and uh, chanting and dancing. Uh, I remember a few years ago, I was covering one of the demonstrations in front of of Downing Street. And I remember one person ripping the flag of Israel. That was, I think four or five years ago. Uh, And even some of the demonstrators were a bit shocked, were a bit taken back about what, what just happened. And now in this these demonstrations, it happens almost as an afterthought. You, you can actually see people doing it uh, to entice the crowd and you hear the chants and you see it happening not only once and not twice, you can see it happening time and time again. Uh, the local Met police officers Uh, which I don't accuse. I mean, you know, when, when you see tens of thousands of demonstrators, they have to make their own calculation and think whether they want to further incite um in the street and i'm seeing how the police officers the met police officers are uh, standing aside and watching it happen and i'm I'm not accusing them you know there are a couple of of officers standing in in front of a crowd of tens of thousands uh, and they have to make their own decisions and and then protect the the welfare of the the whole community and the public uh but but it made me feel really really bad and 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 i have to tell you every time i'm I'm going back home uh, from these demonstrations um I, I carry with me um uh, uh, something in my stomach I don't exactly know how to put it into words, but it takes me days to get over the 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 feeling you 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 feel the hatred you you're faced with the hatred you're facing ignorance you're facing bigotry uh it's happening in in the central of london uh, a city so so vibrant so cosmopolitan um it, 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 it it's always very hard for me, and as I said, it, it keeps getting harder because the texts and, and the actions keep getting harder and harsher.
0: Um, I mean, it's it's horrific to hear that. I'm 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 sorry for your experience, but kind of uh, want to just send you the, the strength of just as a as an Israeli viewer, just how important it is to kind of to see those images, which I'm sure you're 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 aware of. Um, I mean, I was just wonder what it's like when you're in the crowd, kind of when the camera stops rolling, whether the people around you also are aware that you're an Israeli journalist uh, and if that, uh, how, how, how that feels like.
1: Uh, so, so, you know, I, I can share a couple of anecdotes uh, in that aspect because there was a very, very violent demonstration a few years ago. Uh, it was right before Benjamin Netanyahu came to visit the UK. It was in front of Downing Street. Um, and that was the only time where I was actually physically assaulted. Uh, it wasn't too bad. Nothing major happened. Uh, it, it wasn't a nice experience, as you can gather. Uh, but after that, my uh, bosses in Israel—they actually uh, issued them. They sent me, you know, the the, the microphone cube with the um, Channel Twelve logo. So mm. u- usually, I carry one that has Hebrew on it. It says "Hachadashot," the, the the news company. Mm. Um, after after that. Uh, demonstration, they sent me um, one that doesn't have any text. It's just a logo, just a couple of lines. Um, They they understood the potential uh, and the threat that might uh, uh, come into life in, in these demonstrations. Uh, but you know, the, 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 the interesting thing that I that I face in these demonstrations and, and and there is a group of people and I can usually see it in the smaller demonstrations, not, not so much in the larger ones, but there is a group of people that actually knows me uh, and they know who I'm covering it for and who I'm working for. And the interesting thing is that they follow me around and every time I try to speak to someone and interview someone from the crowd, they gather around us uh, trying to block my uh, my way towards the crowd and towards the, the, the people that I interview. And they warn the demonstrators that here comes an Israeli journalist. He will try uh, to, to, uh, to shed a... Uh, 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 a negative light on this demonstration, and um, he will try to confront you, and he will try to make you look as fools. Um, so, so don't cooperate with him. Uh, so, you know, it's something sure. that I have to I, I have to deal with, uh, uh, and I think that in the larger demonstrations, um, it, it might be harder for me personally because of the texts, because of the fear, because of the threat. Uh, but in terms of journalism. I think it's easier for me in the larger demonstrations to show a more accurate uh, picture of, of what's happening.
0: Very interesting. I mean, away so away from this kind of the nasty side of it, how, how else would you describe um, being an Israeli co- um, correspondent based in the UK?
1: Um, well, it's very interesting. It's very interesting because the relations between the two countries are very interesting. Um, and I think that you see... Um, uh, two sides uh, that sometimes collide. I mean, if you look at the at the UK government, um, if you look at Boris Johnson, if you look at, at his ministers, they're very pro-Israeli, and the relations between the UK and Israel are very important for them. And you see unprecedented trade and unprecedented level of agreements being made between mm. the two countries. Um, and then when you look at the street, and again, I'm talking about demonstrations, but not just demonstrations. If you look at uh, uh, stories that we sometimes find within the local communities, stories that we sometimes find within the local politics, the sentiment is, is very different. Um, and I, sometimes trying to bridge the gap between how the... Um, Average, or you know what, maybe it's not the average uh, uh, Brit, but maybe uh, uh, the specific groups of the local communities forming forming Britain and especially London. trying to bridge the the gap between what they feel towards Israel and about how they see Israel and what uh, uh, the formal agenda and the way that the UK government deals with Israel. It's sometimes a thing that is very hard to do. Uh, and I have to say, in a, in a non-Israeli related way, uh, being a foreign correspondent here in the UK, especially during the past few years, has been, uh, has been fascinating. I think the UK is going through some major uh, developments and some major steps uh, that will change not only the way the UK um, will be and will, 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 will act in the, in the future, but the region and maybe even the world.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I was, I mean it, it's, it's great to hear, it's reassuring to hear what you say about the, the Britain-Israel bilateral relationship. I mean, I was just last week uh, invited onto uh, the British naval ship that docked in Haifa, HMS Richmond, after they'd been uh, taking part in uh, training manoeuvres with both the Israeli and the, and the US navies. Um, I wonder if you had a, persp- a perspective as well on kind of the, not just within the government, but the overall sense of the enriched relationship between Britain and Israel.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, in the post-Brexit era, uh, I think that Israel and the relations between the UK and Israel are more important than ever. Um, And I think it's uh, something that we should bear in mind and we should uh, mention that the first agreement in the post-Brexit era, um, uh, the trade agreement, was done between the UK and Israel. Uh, it was uh, a relatively small agreement, especially when you compare it to the one hopefully will be signed uh, with, with the US and China and other countries. But I think it has a lot to say about the relations. Um, and even if you look uh, um, at something that we might uh, find or cover in the in the gossip section of the newspapers, uh, even if you look at the uh, royal visit, uh, Prince William coming to Israel, mm. Prince Charles coming to, to Israel, these things didn't happen for 70 years. I think the reason why they're happening now is because of the understanding of how Israel and the UK could benefit each other. And you know, I have to say during the horrible period of time where we saw the ISIS attacks here in the UK and other places throughout Europe as well, I witnessed personally uh, the uh, the way that the cooperation between the security, uh, um, security organizations Uh, has become uh, tighter and tighter. I've witnessed how uh, senior uh, officials from the Israeli forces are coming here to the UK and how uh, UK officials are going to Israel to have bilateral talks. I saw how the military uh, is training together, both the Israeli and the the British military. I think that um, if you look at these two subjects, the security subject and trade and financial subjects. I think that Israel and the UK have really come closer. Uh, relations have always been good, but I think in the post-Brexit area, the post-ISIS area, uh, these two countries have actually found uh, new ways to cooperate and understand the importance of one another.
0: Um, absolutely, well obviously at Baikon, we are fully, fully supportive of that, uh, that growing and the strength of that uh, relationship. Um, just, you mentioned before about kind of covering uh, British politics and presenting that to, the, uh, to an Israeli audience. I wondered, for example, if you covered the, uh, the recent resignation of, the, uh, of Health Minister Hancock. And within that context, how you, how you covered uh, or how you explained to, to an Israeli audience the concepts that are kind of enshrined in the British political system of both individual and collective ministerial responsibility, something that we do not see really happening in Israel, of ministers resigning?
1: You know, the Israeli viewers and the Israeli consumers of news, uh, there's there's one thing that they like most, is um, seeing that, that Israel is not alone, that they're not alone, that if they feel uh, somewhat ashamed of their uh, um, uh, representatives, that it doesn't happen only in Israel. And to see uh, in terms of uh, uh, ministers who can one day Uh, issue laws and um, uh, ask the people to self-isolate and to keep uh, uh, social distancing and then the other day uh, just act like there's uh, you know the the, the rules doesn't apply to them. Uh, Israelis would uh, are are very keen on seeing that it doesn't happen only in Israeli politics. We've seen Hmm. quite a lot of figures in Israel that acted the same way. I I think British politics is Will always be interesting in the eyes of the Israeli uh, news consumer because there's very uh, it, it, it's very similar uh, to the Israeli politics in terms of the system. Uh, the Israeli politics, let's say, is uh, further apart uh, from the American system. We don't have a president. Uh, we don't have a Senate. Uh, the whole electoral system is different. I think there's more similarities between the British and the Israeli. Uh, political system uh, than any other. Israel has its political system and many other aspects of life based on the British mandate, on the British laws, Um, and I think in that aspect Israelis can understand and can relate to what's happening in the the British uh, uh, politics. And of course when you combine uh, an affair, uh, videos of an affair, uh, the, the the COVID pandemic uh, uh, laws and ministers acting against the laws that they themselves initiate and and uh, and, uh, and and progressed. Then I think it's a, it's a perfect combination for a perfect news story. And I have to say that I'm sometimes surprised uh, with the level of curiosity and interest that the Israeli has, that the Israeli public has uh, towards what's happening uh, here in the UK. I I, I get asked many, many questions about the parliament, about how things work, about Brexit, uh, which is pretty surprising to me. And, and, and yet I think there's uh, the, the, Israel, the, the, the British uh, political scene has uh, produced some uh, very interesting stories. I'm not sure that uh, the, 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 the British citizens are very happy with those. Uh, but in terms mm. of being a journalist here, it certainly gives me uh, lots of work and interesting work.
0: Very cool. Um, I noticed on your on one of your recent podcasts, kind of in the within the zeitgeist of the uh, of the Euros, you asked the question, "Why is Israel so bad at football?" Um, <laughs> one, what, what was your conclusion?
1: You know, we're talking about similarities. I think that uh, the Israeli football, especially the Israeli football fans, can have uh, a, a lot in common with the with the British and especially the English uh, uh, football fans because Israel. Uh, Every time there's a major tournament, every few years, Israel comes with high expectations saying this time we'll make it, this time the the cards are in the right place, we have a good team, Uh, the draw was easy for us, certainly we'll we'll make it happen this time, Uh, and I think a lot of English fans can relate. The thing is, the proportions are a bit different, because if England fans... Are hoping for English, uh, uh, the, the, the 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 English uh, national team to actually win the cup and bring home the trophy. Uh, the Israelis fans are a bit more modest. They're just hoping to to qualify for the competition and to play uh, uh, among the, the 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 great teams, but. You know, I think that Israel has a lot to, a lot to learn from uh, from England and from the UK in terms of sport. I think uh, uh, when you're seeing how, uh, especially football, but sport in general, has become a, a national project here in the UK. And when you're seeing the amazing performances in the last Olympics, for example, made by the UK, mm. uh, by the UK team, uh, I think Israel has a lot to learn. I think Israel wants to be in the place where it, it 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 makes sports as a national project um it's not there yet if we talked about the the different difficulties and and problems that israel is facing i think that will um naturally have priority over uh, sports and other aspects of life so we're not there yet but you know there's a lot of uh, israelis uh, israelis who support uh, the english team and the english teams in the premier league so at least we have that
0: Absolutely, and as I said, we're talking now um, Wednesday afternoon. The seventh. This evening is the semi-final um, of the uh, of the Euros. England in the, England against Denmark. So, from your view, is football coming home?
1: It's coming home, definitely, definitely. I mean, uh, I, I'll, 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 I'll use someone who's smarter and more experienced than I am, Alan Shearer. Uh, that said that if it, if, if it doesn't happen this time, it, it, it will not happen. And you know, Boris Johnson talking about uh, relaxing the COVID laws. He said, let's be honest, if we're not doing it now, we, we, we're not, we're not going to do it later. I mean, this is the time to do it. So I'll take, that, I'll take Boris Johnson's words and just put them on the, uh, on the tournament as well. If England is not bringing football home this time, I can't see them doing it any other time.
0: Fantastic, eh, Elad. Thank you so much for your time today. It was a, it was a, it was a great conversation, which really uh, touched on so many so many issues. And uh, we may well come back to you in the future. But for today, thank you very much.
1: It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Richard.